Let's pray for a minute. Lord, we lift up Nancy in particular and all of those who are struggling for one reason or another during this time. We ask that you will give strength. Yes, we, we ask that you will heal. We know that you can do that. But even more, we ask that you will transform these moments and create seasons of great intimacy with the Savior, with Jesus. And we pray that you will break through in the way that we sang earlier. And we declare for all to hear that we believe that you are wonderful, that there's no other name like the name of Jesus that represents such great power and great love. And we want to all get to the point where we can say, oh, how I love Jesus with simplicity and sincerity. And uh, Lord, we ask that whatever challenges the people of North River are going through, that you will bring us to those places where we have only you to depend on and where we discover or rediscover what your presence means in our lives and how overwhelmingly powerful and comforting you are. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Few people have ever been revered across denominational lines as was Mother Teresa. She told this story in an address that she gave at the National Prayer Breakfast in 1994. This is her voice. One evening we went out and picked up four people from the street. One of them was in a most terrible condition. So I told the sisters, you take care of the other three, I will take care of the one who looks worst. So I did for her all, my, all that my love could do. I put her to bed and there was such a beautiful smile on her face. She took hold of my hand as she said two words only, thank you, and then she died. I could not help but examine my conscience before her. What would I say if I were in her place? My answer was very simple. I would have tried to draw a little attention to myself. I would have said, I'm hungry, I'm dying, I'm in pain or something. But she gave me much more. She gave me her grateful love, and she died with a smile on her face. <clears throat> Here's Mother Teresa addressing so many of the politically powerful at the National Prayer Breakfast. What was she trying to say that day? Very simply, she was trying to say that gratitude brings a smile and becomes a gift. I begin with that story today because the subject of the New Testament passage we're going to look at clearly had a love response of gratitude toward Jesus. This morning we're launching a new series that I'm calling, Oh How I Love Jesus. The name of the series comes from that old chorus that we used to sing in the church of my youth that still sticks in my head and every once in a while the songs that I learned when I was a very young boy and a very young Christian will come out in those quiet places in the night. And this is one of those songs. I know it's old. I know it's not contemporary. I know it's not trending. There's probably nobody else in, the, in North America who's singing this particular song on this particular Sunday. But it's a wonderful song because if you know it, if you sing it, if you learn it, if you memorize it, it's one of those things that just has a way of coming out at the right moment. And in some ways, the Christian faith can be summed up in one simple line that John wrote in 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. That, in a very short form, is the entire message of the gospel. 
It's the entire message of God's story from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end. The rest just makes it more complicated. It's important, but the simple message is we love him because he first loved us, and he bends over backwards to show us that. And so I'm hoping that over the next several weeks, we can answer a question for you. When I presented this idea of, oh, how I love Jesus to our staff and and we review stuff like that, they said, wow, isn't that a really old song, Pastor Paul? And uh, maybe this one needs a subtitle. And so we, we worked through that, and we actually all chipped in, and it was a great conversation. And what we landed on was, oh, how I love Jesus. What makes Jesus so attractive? And what I'm trying to get at for the next few weeks is, what makes Jesus so attractive from generation to generation Because there are people who came before us who believed in Jesus for hundreds and hundreds of years. And our generation, if you're my age, we all thought that they were kind of square and old and fuddy-duddy. And now where are the old timers hanging on to these old songs? And I have faith that God has a way still of getting under the skin of all kinds of generations of people. And this is one of those simple truths that we need to hold on to. We love him because he first loved us. So let me say welcome back to North River Church. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, I, I want you to know that no matter who you are, no matter where you find yourself today, your life matters to God. And because you matter to God, you matter to us here at North River. And there's a place for you at North River. Let me say thank you to all of you for your faithfulness, for your creativity, for your flexibility, for your generosity that we've seen over the last several months I'd like to dive into this morning's topic here, uh, but I'd like you to know that uh, your faithfulness has been support has been and, and support has been wonderful over this past year, now 14 months that we've been in this uh, pandemic, and this is still our mission in good seasons and in hard seasons, helping people who are far from God become fully developed servants and worshipers of Christ. So I have a question I'd like to throw out. Have you ever, or do you now, feel far from God? This morning we're going to look at a group of people who felt very, very far from God as they saw Jesus walking by, and they called out to him. And because of that, everything changed for at least one of them. I'd like to talk about these 10 lepers that we read about in in Luke chapter 17. First, I'd like to address what they had in common. Four things. First, they were all drawn to Jesus. It says in verses 11 and 12, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. There are a number of things we do not know about these 10 men. We don't know their ages. We don't know about their experiences or their education. We don't know anything about their personal characteristics, skills, or interests. We're not sure why, but they were all drawn to Jesus in that moment. Perhaps they were hungry and and they'd heard about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Perhaps they were curious and had heard about Jesus healing power and hoped that he would take away this horrible disease they had. Perhaps they had followed the crowds and wondered if Jesus really could be the Messiah that some were whispering about. There are many reasons why people are drawn to Jesus today. We too are hungry, curious, and we wonder about his power. We too have questions about his identity and we want to know more. We too wonder if his power is available at our point of need. They were all drawn to Jesus. The second observation is they all stood at a distance. 
It says in verse 12, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Leprosy was a disease that was not very well understood back then. It appears like a skin disease with dry and flaky patches of skin, but it is really an attack on the nervous system where people lose the ability to feel. Think of how dangerous that is. Left untreated, these dry skin patches turn into sores, which would then ulcerate and become foul. One strain of leprosy was contagious, the other was not, but they were treated the same way in that time. Unlike today, there was no known cure. Beyond the physical problems, lepers were treated like outcasts. Among Jews, they were considered to be religiously unclean. This meant that they lived their lives apart from their families, apart from friends, on the outskirts of town. They couldn't work regular jobs or take part in any regular part of community life. So they lived outdoors in caves and huts and camps, in poverty, existing on the kindness of others. Their families would often forget them. That social curse that fell upon the lepers also was applied to their families as well. So their family members often moved on, increasing that sense of abandonment. Lepers would often lose fingers or toes or noses as they were exposed to the elements. For many, many years, people who studied this disease thought that it was, it was caused by the disease itself, but it wasn't. What happened was sleeping outdoors in these huts and caves, often rats and rodents would gnaw on the sores on their flesh and they would not feel it because they'd lost that ability to feel pain and they wouldn't fight them off. All this put together, learning that one had leprosy was considered to be a death sentence. It led to a lonely, depressing, and isolated life. In every church, on every Sunday, there are people among us who stand at a distance. Some hurt, some difficulty, some fear has pushed you to the edge of the crowd. Afraid to draw near or push to the edge, you stand in the, dif- in the distance hoping for more. And you find you have something in common with these ten. So they were all drawn to Jesus. They all stood at a distance and they all cried for mercy. Verse 12, if we tease it out into verse 13, says they stood at a distance and all called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. One more detail about leprosy. An early sign was that it attacked the vocal cords. That simple, important detail actually affects the way that we read this account. This means that their plea would not have sounded as resonating as my voice does right now, but it would have sounded like a strained, raspy, painful cry. The actual word that Luke records here in the New Testament Greek is a phrase meaning, have mercy on us. So we need to understand the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is getting what you, excuse me, grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. In other words, not getting a punishment. There's a profound difference between these two. So these men were asking for more than healing. 
You see, in that day, many believed that everything bad in life was caused by something that you had done, that there was a direct cause and effect relationship. So if there was some great malady that fell upon you, you must have caused it by the way that you were living. And that's the way most of the world operated. So their cry for mercy is telling. It's a cry not for healing, but for compassion. And Jesus walks by and gives them all of the above. And fourth, what, what they had in common was they all found power along the way. Verse 14 is very important in understanding the power of this scene. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And they went. And as they went, they were cleansed. As was often the case with Jesus, they were healed along the way. He could have simply spoken the word and healed them right there. He could have touched them like he did in other situations and they felt the power surge through their bodies. But he asked for an act of faith in this case. They needed to find the local priest and take that step. And as they went, only as they took those steps, they were made clean. This is often how Jesus works in our lives. Only as we obey his word, his commands, only then do we find that he unleashes his power or the answers that we're seeking in our lives. God often answers our prayers along the way as we step out, out, step out and act on his word. I am convinced that this is one of the primary ways that God continues to work today. He doesn't give us everything that we need or hope for in advance. He expects us to step out in faith and somewhere along the way as we are putting his truth into practice, he answers. So the first thing that we've been trying to look at is what they all had in common, but I'd like to raise a question because there were 10 lepers at the beginning of this account. What separated the the 10th leper from the other nine who don't come back? So let's dive in and look a little bit more closely at the 10th leper who comes back. First, we see that his perception was changed. Verse 15 introduces us to this difference One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, it says at the beginning of that verse. Luke was a great student of observation. We know from the opening verses of the gospel that Luke is the gospel writer who tells us, and as his audience, that he investigated to the best of his ability. So it is possible, maybe even likely, that Luke interviewed this man and learned about this story firsthand. He includes details that he wants us to see in order to gain the full impact of this encounter. And Luke is the only gospel writer that tells us this story. So Luke tells us, when he saw he was healed, and then he connects that with he came back. This was more than just simply noticing that his skin had healed. He noticed and he thought about Jesus. The result was that his perception of Jesus had changed and he had to turn back. He realized that Jesus had not simply healed his body, Jesus had given him a new life. Jesus can do far more than healing us. Jesus is the one who can heal your soul and he can give you a new life no matter how far you feel from God or how distant you are today from Jesus. He can give those who stand at a distance a whole new outlook on life. So this man's perspective had changed. Second, he considered the source. 
If we tease that verse out a little bit farther, it says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Notice that this man's praise focused on God as he turned in the direction of Jesus. That's what Jesus longs to do. We, we receive help and hope and courage and comfort from Jesus, but Jesus always steers us back to God the Father and to his goodness. Charles Brown mused about the reasons that the other nine might not have come back. One waited to see if the cure was real. One waited to see if it would last. One said he would see Jesus later. One decided he never had leprosy anyway. And one said he would have gotten well on his own. One gave glory to the priests. One said, oh, well, Jesus didn't really do anything. And others said, any rabbi could have done it. And finally, the ninth one said, I was already very much improved. It's amazing how we rationalize sometimes and we take for granted the help along the way that Jesus brings. When you look at the good things in your life, what can be, what should be attributed to God and to the presence of Jesus in your life. So his perspective was one thing that separated him from the rest. His consideration of the source as well. Also, he made gratitude a priority. So verse 15 leads into verse 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Verse 16 then says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And now Luke adds in another detail. He was a Samaritan. In other words, Luke was saying, this is the least likely member of the ten who you would have expected to come back and to thank Jesus, the Jewish rabbi. First, we see that he praised God in a loud voice. Physically, we see this man throwing himself at Jesus' feet. This is an immediate emotional response driven by this powerful sense of gratitude. He'd made up his mind to thank Jesus, and when he saw Jesus, he was overcome. I don't know about you, but I'd like to think that this would be my first response upon seeing Jesus. When I think of all the direction, the wisdom, comfort, forgiveness, grace, empowerment, encouragement, and gifting Jesus has given along the way, words alone would not be able to express what I feel inside in terms of gratitude toward Jesus. But even before we see this man throwing himself at Jesus' feet, Luke adds an audible note that he praised God in a loud voice. So there's a physical response, throwing himself before Jesus, and there's the audible response. We noted already that leprosy attacks the vocal cords, one of the early signs that one has it. So the ability to shout would be long gone. Now, one aspect of this healing instantaneously was the, the return of his ability to shout. And think of it, he used his first shout probably in many years to publicly praise God loudly. The simple fact that he returned while the others did not shows that this was a priority for him. It was something important that he had to do immediately. Gratitude often works like that. It doesn't say down easily. It needs to come out and to be expressed. If it isn't expressed, it gets squelched and it dies. And his faith marked the rest of his life. Verse 19 ends this account as Luke says, Then he said to him, 
Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Listen to the words of Jesus here. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Jesus makes a direct connection between faith and well-being. Is it possible that Jesus knew something that he wanted to pass on about the power of gratitude? Some recent studies in the habit of gratitude are backing up Jesus 2,000 years later. Dr. Lawrence Rosen wrote wrote a piece called Five Reasons Why Gratitude is Good for Your Health. In that study, he defined gratitude this way, an intentional appreciation of what and who you have, an acceptance and explicit acknowledgement of what life brings you. And he cited a number of academic studies that found these five benefits from gratitude. Gratitude reduces depression. Gratitude can help you feel peaceful. Gratitude can improve your sleep. Gratitude is great for your heart. Gratitude is a brain booster. It has been shown to strengthen memory in elderly adults. Wow. So here's the big idea that I landed on this week as I was working my way through this story. Gratitude brings greater measures of health by connecting the goodness of the giver with the pure joy of the one who is blessed. Gratitude brings greater measures of health by connecting the goodness of the giver with the pure joy of the one who is being blessed. I have a final question. How do we cultivate gratitude in our lives? If gratitude is good and even has health benefits in addition to spiritual benefits, how do we cultivate this? Four quick suggestions. Here's the first one. Make a gratitude visit. Dr. Martin Seligman conducted a research study on the power of gratitude that was detailed in American Psychology in a paper that he wrote in 2005. Participants were randomly assigned one of six therapeutic interventions designed to increase their overall quality of life. Of the six, the one that prompted the greatest short-term benefits was called a gratitude visit. Each person wrote and then personally delivered a letter of appreciation to someone who had personally impacted them in their past. That single act resulted in, quote, a significant rise in happiness scores and a significant fall in depression scores, unquote. So here's my question. What would happen if each of us started the habit of making gratitude visits? Who would you start with? Who would you write a letter to that you could personally deliver to them in this season of difficulty and this season of of just downward thinking and depression? It might not be just for the person that you deliver that letter to. It might also be for you because gratitude releases all of these good benefits in your life. Suggestion number two. Thank someone who can't reciprocate. I saw this happen on Facebook the other day. On Friday, the Veterans Foundation posted a note about an unusual World War II hero. Phyllis Pippa Latour Doyle is the last surviving female special operations executive agent of 40 who were sent uh, sent from England into France to organize the resistance ahead of the Allied Normandy invasion forces. 23 years old, she parachuted into Normandy in May 1944 to gather intelligence about Nazi positioning in preparation for D-Day a month later. She secretly relayed 135 coded messages to British forces before France's liberation in August 1944. 
Well, Friday was her 100th birthday, and the Veterans Foundation posted her picture and her story. Just by telling her story, we get to pass on her legacy, and we get to express appreciation for someone who risked her life for freedoms we enjoy today that we'll never meet, and she can't reciprocate all that to us. But what's one of the great things that happens through social media with stories like that is people are passing that story on all around the country this weekend. And we're thanking people like her for the freedoms that we know today. Here's a third suggestion. Be willing to express gratitude in times of anxiety and frustration. We sometimes think that gratitude can only be expressed when everything is going well. John Ortberg shared this letter from a college student a few years ago. Dear Mom and Dad, I meant to write sooner, but I was in a terrible accident. While I was in the hospital, I met a really nice orderly, and we fell in love. He doesn't have long to live, and we have a baby on the way. There's not a lot of time. We're planning on having a wedding this week, and we've decided to relocate to Alaska. And then they noticed down below there was a P.S. P.S., none of this is true, but I did flunk my chemistry course, and I wanted you to keep it in perspective. <laughs> During this past year, we've been learning that gratitude helps dispel discouragement. And one fourth suggestion, make sure gratitude is a part of your worship routine with God. The tenth leper presents for us a great role model in this way. He made it a priority to praise God and then to physically demonstrate his thanks. And I'm not sure that he had it in mind, but when he saw Jesus, he threw himself at Jesus' feet. That, that picture is just etched in my mind. Now, this may make some people uncomfortable. Raw emotion sometimes has a way of doing that. If you can't get in touch with some of that emotion, Perhaps it's time to revisit what Jesus has done for you and to think about all the ways that he's come alongside. Or perhaps, if you can't get in touch with that emotion, it is time to stop standing on the periphery and step into the grace of God by embracing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you will discover what a powerful force he is. And perhaps you will say with me, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And it's his story, and he stuck to it too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for sending Jesus with a heart that was so full of love toward all kinds of people, the high and mighty, the low and groveling, the sick and the diseased and those standing far off on the edge of the camp calling out from a distance. Lord, there are people who are watching this online service today or maybe some in this room as well who feel very, very far from you. Thank you for giving us the mission as a church 31 years ago to create a church for those who feel far from God and to create a safe place where they can draw near to Jesus and discover that Jesus does far more than heal the things that are broken and wrong in our lives. He can get on the inside of our lives and heal the soul and give us a whole new outlook and start to life. And God, I pray that today you would do that for some people who are listening to this particular message who identify 
with the 10 lepers on the outside of the camp because there's been something that causes shame. There's been something that causes them to feel that they're not welcome closer in. But give them the courage to step toward Jesus and to call out to his name. And when he responds, I pray, Lord, that you will give us all that great sense of gratitude that forces us to throw ourselves at his feet and to worship. May we all be like the 10th leper. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, I hope you'll join us for this series. I think this is going to be an interesting one. And we're going to dive deeper into this thought of, oh, how I love Jesus. And hopefully these messages and these Sundays will inspire a greater love in you and a greater sense of gratitude toward Jesus.